right, we continue our series in Mark 2, The Journey with Jesus, and I've actually changed the title, although I didn't change it on the slide, I changed it in my notes, and I'll explain that uh, in a moment. But let's read down through the text together, 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I've told you that I changed the title uh, of this uh, sermon today. And I tried to simplify it a little bit, and so I want to explain that. I've actually changed the title to The Sufficiency of Jesus. The Sufficiency of Jesus. When we look at his identity, his person, and we look at his authority, his power, what we have combined there is the sufficiency of Christ. And that's why I have titled it that, because I think it helps us in applying this sermon to our lives. Now, when we look at this, they're actually beginning in this section in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. There are five separate incidents that we see that are all linked together, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3, verse 6. Five separate incidents. But what we need to know is these were not actually chronological events historically. But Mark, in compiling his writing, put them together because there's a theme that kind of runs through it. And guess what that theme is? The identity and authority of Christ or the sufficiency of Christ. And so that's why we look at this. And in these five separate incidents, Jesus runs into conflict with the religious leaders. Why does he run into conflict with them? Because he is clashing with their old belief system. The Jews had a belief system, and Jesus is challenging their belief system to turn it upside down. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had things in my life where I've, I thought one way, and then the longer I studied scripture, God changed my mind and my heart. And sometimes that takes time to do. And so we don't want to be too hard on the Jewish people. Because they had strong beliefs and they wanted to have the purity of the law. But yet God was in the person of Christ challenging them with their belief system. 
These five separate incidents I'll just mention quickly. In Mark chapter 2, the account we just read is the healing a paralyzed man. The second one, if you just even look in the scripture, you can see it in the next section. Verses 13 to 17, Jesus eats with sinners. And eating with sinners, there's conflict because they don't think he should be eating with sinners. The third conflict he has is confusion over fasting. John and his disciples are fasting and the Pharisees are fasting. Jesus' disciples are not fasting. They said, what's that all about? Another conflict. Number four, the Lord of the Sabbath. They were arguing over the Sabbath. What did that really mean? How was it supposed to be lived out? Another conflict with the religious leaders. The fifth one was another healing that took place, but it took place on the Sabbath. And so they had a problem with that. They didn't mind Jesus doing good things, but he was breaking the law of the Sabbath. He did it intentionally to try to challenge their belief system. And so these are the five things that we see here. Now, when we look at this opening passage here, it says a few days later, we don't know exactly how much time transpired, but we know that Jesus had been out into the villages and preaching the gospel. And he comes back home, probably Peter's home, in Capernaum, which is what we said, northwest of the Sea of Galilee, right on the Sea of Galilee. He is there. And notice what happens. He enters Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. Now, they didn't have internet, Facebook, you know, newspapers. It was word of mouth. Jesus is back. And how do they respond? So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. What we are going to see through this passage of scripture is three ways in which the sufficiency of Jesus is revealed in this story. And when we talk about his sufficiency, we're talking about, again, his identity and his authority. He is sufficient because of who he is and what he does. So the sufficiency. So the first thing we see here is this large crowd that comes. We see the sufficiency of Jesus is revealed in what he says. Notice what he says to the crowd. There's no room left, not even outside the door. And what does he do? He preaches the word to them. Now, why would there be such a crowd? It seems in our day and age when you hear somebody's going to preach, you find ways to get out of it. Um, there's so many things competing for our attention today to come and attend to the preaching of God's word. I'm sure they had things in their own day as well. I think it goes back to Jesus' earlier connection with them when he was in the synagogue. And he had preached and he drove out that demon and they saw the power and authority of Jesus. And now he's back. And he taught as one who had authority. And so that, I believe, is the reason. There's a motivation there to hear this man. There's a curiosity. They're changing their schedules to be there to hear what this man has to say. Because what he says seems to be so much greater than what they heard from the teachers of the law. And so there's an openness. And Jesus, and the reason I think there's an openness is because what we shared a couple weeks ago. What he shared resonated with their hearts. It resonated. It spoke to the heart. 
Now, I want us to think about, and I, as I was praying about this sermon and thinking about how can I make this visual for us, I think I can make it visual this way. Our hearts store stuff. Our hearts store stuff. What kind of stuff? Everything. Memories, experiences, feelings, disappointments, discouragements, betrayals, broken trust. All of that is stored in our heart. Let me give you an example, a word picture. A closet. See, if we invite somebody into our house and we want them to take a tour of our house, probably one door we won't open is the closet door. I've got one of those. <laughs> I wouldn't care to open because of all the stuff in there. Right? It's like, you don't want people to see all that stuff. But that stuff has accumulated over the years. We didn't start off with that much stuff 24 years ago. We lived in a basement apartment. We couldn't get all of our stuff in a basement apartment anymore. But that stuff has been stored over 24 years. Now think about all of your experiences and memories, hurts, disappointments. It's all in the closet of your heart. Jesus is speaking to the closet. He's speaking to their closet, and he's speaking to our closet. You see, if the word of God did not speak to my closet, I don't need it. I don't need God's word at all. But because it speaks to my closet, my memories, my experiences, my struggles, my hurts, I want to hear what it has to say. And I think that's the reason you're here. And that's the reason the crowd was there. Because they had closet full of stuff in their life. And Jesus is speaking to the closet. So let me ask you something. What's in your closet that Jesus wants to speak to today? Maybe there's a deep hurt, a betrayal. A broken trust, an unfulfilled dream. Do you know God wants to speak into your closet? You know, sometimes in closets we have boxes. And while we may not say it, we say across the box, off limits. Off limits. We can do that to God, you know. When he begins to open the door of our closet to him, and he begins to probe around with his spirit and come inside of us when we hear the word of God preached, we can turn a deaf ear to that and say, wait a minute, God, that box is off limits. That is the very box that God wants in your life. It's the very box he wants in my life as well, because that is the box that Satan will use to defeat you, to keep you living in bondage, fear, shame, and keep you from the freedom and joy and peace that God wants us to have. 
I think that's why there was a crowd there that day. We've got places where we store stuff. You see, what we have inside of us, we don't have the sufficiency in ourselves to clean out the closet. I don't have the sufficiency in myself to heal my own hurts. I don't have that sufficiency. If I did, I don't need church, I don't need the Bible, and I don't need God. But this is where a lot of people are in our world, is it not true? What they do is they have this closet full of stuff, and they say, you know, I, I can handle this on my own. And you know how they handle it? They get into addictions. They get into other stuff to try to fix what's in the closet. It's all insufficient. It's all insufficient. The other thing I want us to see here, in Jesus speaking the word to them, is that Jesus recognized their spiritual hunger. See, he recognized that they had closets full of stuff. And they weren't satisfied. They weren't content. And when it says here that he preached the word to them, the word there is actually logon, which is where we get our word logos, which means gospel in this Context. He is preaching the gospel. He is preaching the good news. And is it not good news when I have junk in my closet and God says, I can get that junk out for you. I can clean your closet out for you and I can heal the hurt and I can take that box that says off limits. And if you will open that box up to me, I will pour my word into you and you will be transformed by my power. That's the power of God's word. And this is why he was preaching the word of God to them. This is why we must preach the word of God to our culture. Because we have a culture that has closets that are full of stuff. And we can't fix it ourselves. We can't. You see, part of their spiritual hunger might have been in the first century. You know, we're fishermen. We're not catching any fish. And if we don't catch fish, we can't feed our families. We don't have anything to sell. And if we can't feed our families, we're going to starve. Food, probably a little harder to get in their day. Maybe they had a fear of storms when they would go out fishing in the boat. We saw that in the New Testament there were storms. That had to be fearful. To know that water is coming in and you might sink. And this is their livelihood. They probably had a fear of illness. Because there weren't a lot of medications around or doctors. And here is a paralyzed man who is helpless. And illnesses were rampant. Jesus was healing all kinds of diseases. They probably had a fear of the future. What about our 21st century? What are some of the things in our closet that Jesus would speak to? 
I would say one is people want to feel good about themselves, don't they? Don't we? Don't we want to feel good about ourselves? But that's very difficult to do if I have stuff in my closet that I don't feel good about. And then I want to feel good about myself, but I have stuff inside me that I don't feel good about. So how do I deal with that? Some of us would like to change our looks. We see in our culture today there is this unhealthy obsession with people wanting to change their looks. Why? They think that by changing their looks, they will feel good about themselves and it will fix what's inside the closet. And it doesn't. That's the problem. It's all external. Other people think that, you know, if I'm driven, if I am a hard worker and I work myself to a frenzy, that's going to be sufficient for my needs. Or if I excel in athletics and I have this obsession with winning, that will fix what's wrong in the closet. It doesn't. Or by being working all the time, if I avoid relationships, I won't be hurt anymore. Do you know by avoiding relationships, you are hurting yourself even more? Because God has created us for fellowship. He has created us to connect with one another. It is so vital. Another way that people try to fix the closet is with addictions. They don't want to work on the box that is unlimited, off limits. And so they begin to feed themselves. And they eat, and they eat, and they eat, and they eat. And that doesn't fix what's in the closet. Other people have eating disorders. They don't eat enough. They starve themselves because they're concerned about their physical appearance. Thinking, well, that will fix what's in the closet. It doesn't. Other people have relationship addictions. They've always got to be in a relationship. There's this codependent behavior where I've always got to have somebody. That doesn't fix it either. Gambling. It's all in the page of the paper the other day that man that won 300 and however many thousand dollars in South Dakota. That will not fix what's in the closet. Gaming. People have gaming addictions. If they can just get their mind off all their problems and live in this fantasy world, just play games all the time, that will fix what's in the closet. We go on and on and on. People get sexual addictions and drug addictions and alcohol addictions. And you see, everyone has a drug of choice. But the only thing that will be sufficient for what's wrong in the closet is applying God's word. And that's why we see the sufficiency of God's word in what he says. Here's where we see it. Jesus recognized the sufficiency of scripture. Here's what he says in Matthew 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we really believe that, if we really genuinely believe that verse, that means that everything that is in my closet, God can help me with. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. God wants to help me. He says every word that comes from the mouth of God will help me deal with stuff in my closet. And that's what he wants to do. And you know what? When God begins to deal with stuff in our closet, we can grow in our fellowship with one another. We can grow in our love for one another. We can grow in our unity with one another. We can grow as a church. We will have a more burden for the lost if we allow God to deal with what's happening in the closet. See, the scripture says in Psalm 1, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. There are so many people who want to go to get ungodly advice for how to deal with what's in the closet. Oh, I'll just start taking this medication. That'll fix what's in the closet. Now, there are times where people need medication. Don't get me wrong. But there are other times maybe God wants to fix it apart from that. The beautiful part of scripture is it speaks into our closet. Here's what Psalm 107, 20 says, talking about God. He sent forth his word and healed them. Now, if we really believe that, that means that what, the hurt that I have in my heart can be healed by God. Doesn't matter what it is. Some of us can right now recall a hurt from somebody from maybe months ago, years ago. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to allow God's word to speak into your closet, open that box, allow him to heal your wound? That's what he wants to do. That's the sufficiency of knowing that what God says means something to me. The second sufficiency that we see in Jesus is the sufficiency of Jesus is revealed in who he is. Not just what he says, but who he is. Remember the one who said it. That's where the authority comes from. It is the authority of his word because he spoke this world into existence. Did he not? <laughs> he fashioned it all. We didn't give him any advice on how to create it. We want to give him advice on how to maintain it. But we didn't give him any advice on how to make it. The sufficiency of Jesus is revealed in who he is. And the first thing we see here is when Jesus is speaking and they go and they dig open the roof for this paralytic man. Now, Palestinian houses were not real high, made of stone, and they would have a stone staircase that would go on the outside of the house. And so these men had to take the stretcher, they had to go up that stone staircase around the outside of the house, go onto that flat roof, 
There were beams that would go across the stone walls up on the top. They would have mud that they would seal, dried mud and branches and sometimes tiles. And they just dug that thing open. <laughs> dirt had to be fallen on Jesus and some of the other people. We don't think about that. Probably a dirt floor anyhow. <laughs> but do you see the faith of these men to do that? To push through the crowd? Why did they do that? Because they believed in the sufficiency of Jesus to do something for this man. If you and I believe in the sufficiency of Jesus and who he is, we are going to do everything in our power to get people to Jesus. Right? I mean, we will. And so Jesus responds to their act of faith. Jesus sees their commitment. They believe in what they are doing in bringing this man to Jesus. Nobody's convincing them. They are convinced. They believe it. He also sees their creativity that they didn't give up and say, well, you know what, there's a crowd, forget it. There are going to be barriers, there are going to be obstacles in bringing people to Jesus. Satan doesn't want us to bring people to Jesus. So what's he going to do? Discourage you, put roadblocks in your path. He sees their concern, their burden for this man. The sufficiency of Jesus is revealed in who he is. Jesus is sufficient because he is the son. Well, actually, the first one is he's the son of God. He is God. Here's what it says. Look down in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, and this is a term of endearment. It's almost like child. It's an adult, I think. But he, he, he's endearing himself to this person. He's saying, your sins are forgiven. Now, isn't it interesting? Why did those men bring this man to Jesus? To forgive his sins or to heal him of paralysis? I think it was to heal him of paralysis. But somehow, in their culture especially, illnesses and sin were intertwined. And we don't know what this man was involved in. Maybe he was involved in something that was sinful, and that's why he is suffering from paralysis. All we can see is it seems like these two in this particular story are intertwined. His sin and his paralysis. And it says some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here's where Jesus and the teachers of the law agree. The only one that can forgive sins is God. The teachers of the law were correct in that. Where they were wrong is they didn't think it was Jesus. He is God. And so Jesus said, yeah, you're right because... I'm God. And what was the punishment for blasphemy? Well, according to the book of Leviticus, you took the person out of the camp and you stoned them to death. So this is a very serious charge that they were bringing against Jesus. <coughs> Jesus agrees with them. Jesus is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It says, for in him, 
the whole fullness of deity in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus, that he is God, a very God. And that's what we have to remember. They are face to face with God. Jesus is the son of man who came to serve in the weakness of the flesh. He came to suffer, to humble himself, and to suffer and to die on a cross. The third thing we see here is that Jesus is sufficient, and it's revealed in what he does. What does he do here? He forgives the man his sin. He questions them, and in verse 8 it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. See, they weren't talking about this out loud. They were thinking it in their hearts. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He not only saw the paralytic man's sin, he saw their thoughts. Why? Because he's God. He sees all of our thoughts. He sees inside of us. They had to be troubled by that. He says to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up? Take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What was Jesus saying? He said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Well, he's saying, really, it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because they can't prove that he forgave them. If he has to say, get up, take up your mat and walk, now he's got to have living proof. And so he tells him to get up and walk in front of all of them to show that he is in fact God. That he not only heals from physical paralysis, he heals from spiritual paralysis. And the teachers of the law were spiritually paralyzed. And he was wanting to free them from that spiritual paralysis. It's revealed in what he does. Jesus is sufficient to forgive our sins. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. Nobody else can forgive our sins but Jesus. I can't forgive my own sins. You can't forgive your own sins. You can't forgive somebody else's sins. It is only Jesus that can forgive sin. And that's why we come to him. He has the power and authority to forgive our sins. And Jesus is also sufficient to heal all our diseases. He tells him to get up. That's a test of faith. Get up. It's an action. It's a test of his faith. Will he actually do it? Jesus says, take your mat and go home. There is a demand of obedience to do what Jesus said. But what do we see as well? We see the sufficiency of the Savior is scrutinized. How? Well, they get to observe, they get to inspect, they get to question this man. And it says he walks around in full view of them all. They scrutinize what Jesus did. You know what they find? There's no holes in the story. Jesus passed the test. He did exactly what he said he could do. He forgave the man and he healed the man immediately, immediately. You see, Jesus is competent 
and adequate to stand up under scrutiny of the scribes. The scribes are the experts in the law, and he is able to stand up to the scrutiny of the scribes, and he is able to stand up to the scrutiny of the world. There are a lot of people who doubt Jesus, who doubt the Bible, who say, oh, it's not true. But the sufficiency of Scripture proves otherwise. The sufficiency of the Savior proves otherwise. Why? Because that Scripture and that Jesus speaks to my closet and what's inside of me. I cannot be the pastor you need. I can't be the Christian I need to be. I can't be the husband I need to be. I can't be the father I need to be. I can't be the citizen I need to be without Jesus. That's the bottom line. Jesus is sufficient for all my needs and yours. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. The final punchline in this story is it says they are amazed when they see this man walking and they praise God saying we have never seen anything like this. The sufficiency of our Savior should be praised. He should be praised in our lives. Where would our lives be if it wasn't for Jesus. We all have a closet. It's called our heart. I use that as a visual illustration to ask you what's in your closet. Do you have a box marked off limits? You know if you do, and so does God, because he can see your thoughts right now. The question is, do you want to open that box to him? That can be fearful. I understand that. It can be painful. If you have a hurt buried there, it could be extremely painful to open that box. But here's what I'm going to tell you. God will be able to pour his word into your box, into your closet, and bring healing to you if you let him. If you are dealing with some type of addiction that has caught you in bondage, will you open the box of that addiction? Because there's some reason that there's something fueling the fire of that addiction. And it's in the box. Will you open that box to God? You know, there are people in our world today that are in incredible debt because they spend, 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 spend to fix the closet. I mean, all these things that we talked about, people want to fix the closet. But they want to do it apart from the sufficiency of Christ. And you can't. You can't. Would you be willing to open your heart to him? If Christ, the sufficient one, is not on the throne of your heart, would you open the closet to him today? Say, God, I need you in my closet. 
I need you in my heart. I am insufficient, incapable, inadequate, apart from you, to be what I am supposed to be, what scripture says I'm supposed to be. Would you give it to him? If we can pray with you after the service, I would count it a privilege to do that. If you need to talk, maybe you need to set up an appointment to talk about what's in the closet, call and set up an appointment. Take the step. The hardest step is the first step because you have to step out of denial into God's grace. Step out of your denial into God's grace. He will meet you. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.